Hello. Um, Today's reading is taken from the book of Mark. It's chapter 9 and reading from verses 1 to 13. That's Mark chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. That's on page 1012 on your chair Bibles. Um, And he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Thank you for your your welcome. Verse 1 talks about um, an event that some of the people who were present when Jesus speaks will see something of the glory of Jesus. If you read people writing about this particular chapter, there are many views as to when this actually happened. What I think is probably clear is that one of them was the, the reading that we have here, that at least an anticipation, at least a, a down payment of seeing the wonderful glory of Jesus was experienced by these three men that are up on the mountain of transfiguration when Jesus is transformed. Now, imagine you're out uh, and about, maybe in London or something, and you you see someone in an unexpected place. You see them perhaps dressed in a way that you've never seen them dressed before. Maybe they're wearing a uniform. Or maybe um, it's someone who, like Cinderella, Um, goes around in uh, shabby clothes and suddenly you see them looking amazingly glamorous. Well, it's it's something that can kind of take you by surprise. Um, We we have a double take. Is that really you? Um, We we don't expect to see them in that situation. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration is Superman stepping out of the telephone box And the disciples, like Lois Lane, um, they do recognize that he is Jesus. You wonder about Lois, don't you? All that time spent with the mild-mannered Clark Kent 
and not able to see without his glasses that he really is the same man. On the mountain of transfiguration, this amazing transformation of Jesus, the disciples seeing who he is in an amazing way. Probably for many men here, if I said to you, what are your favorite experiences of mountains? I would guess that Phil Moon's name may well feature in your memories. Mountains are, for many people, special places, particularly if you manage to climb them and get to the top and survey the scene below. Of course, in biblical terms, mountains are incredibly important. Very important things happen there. We see Abraham having an experience on a mountain with his own very special son. We see Elijah on a mountain um, showing that he has the distinctive voice of God in a world where there is a marketplace of competing ideas. We see Moses on a mountain, um, the the go-between between God and human beings. Mountains are special places. And it's almost like a filmmaker introducing um, a motif in their film that says, hey, something special is happening here. We're on a mountain and the expectation rises. We expect something very special to happen here. And it does. It's a mountain. And on this mountain, two characters appear. Uh, Do you notice that? Um, They're described there um, that Elijah and Moses um, appear and they are talking to Jesus there in verse 4. Now, it's interesting that uh, Mark talks about Elijah and Moses. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that's not the order. It's an unusual order to to speak of them, Elijah and Moses. Uh, but, But in that kind of rather odd bit at the end of the story, which seems a bit perplexing about we expect Elijah to come, and Elijah has come, and they've done many things to him. We're being reminded that in the, in the hope, in the, in the hope of Israel, there was a sense in which Elijah would be a very important player in bringing the revelation of God to a climax. And here Mark gives us a hint that something very significant is happening, that this is the, the climax of all things, the climax of revelation, the climax of God's purposes in the world. Elijah has come. Perhaps the reference there at the end of our reading to Elijah coming and being treated badly was a reference to John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus, preparing as the warm-up man for the main act to appear on the stage. Elijah comes first because the tension is being uh, raised. This is something very special. This is a, a pointer to the most significant event in human history. What does Peter see, one of Jesus' special friends that goes with him to the mountain? What does Peter see on the mountain? He sees dazzling light. Uh, Mark says it's whiter than any bleacher can bleach it. Whiter than any of those recommended soap powders can get our whites white. Dazzling white. Jesus transformed before. And that's what Peter saw. That's what Peter 
James and John saw, they saw Jesus suddenly bursting with light. Uh, someone has said that, um, in a sense, this, this occasion was rather like those people on Doctor Who that experienced the TARDIS for the first time. The TARDIS, which is bigger on the inside than it's on, on the outside. Suddenly, for a moment, Peter, James, and John see Jesus, who is bigger on the inside all of the time. Big on the outside, too. Suddenly the light shines forth and they simply can't take their eyes off him. The reality of who Jesus is suddenly becomes evident for all. He is the light of the world. He is the source of light. And you need to pause for a moment to reflect on that reality. Jesus is transfigured before them, a metamorphosis, an amazing change takes place in Jesus so that they can see him as he actually is. He has his moment to shine, eyes that were not so aware of his significance suddenly become amazingly aware. This is who Jesus really is. It takes the breath away. We sometimes speak about a woman who will step into a room and her smile will light up the room. Jesus has stepped into this particular moment for these three special friends and his radiance lights up the room. They'd never really be the same again after this. How can you be? How can you get the genie back into the bottle? But not only do they see um, light, brilliant, dazzling light, they also see two other figures with Jesus. Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus. Now again, when you you step into the TARDIS, uh, I speak as though I have personal experience of that, I'd love to have that particular opportunity. When you step into the TARDIS and you see that, um, that huge world inside, you kind of know with, with a kind of whirring and, uh, and, and a few other bumps and noises, you're going to end up somewhere else. You're going to break through the space-time continuum and you're going to be in another place and you're going to bump into people that you've only read in the history books. What an amazing experience. But that... Tardis experience happens here for Jesus as he meets with Elijah and Moses. Characters from history suddenly appearing before the disciples and Jesus. Of course, those things don't happen, do they? There's something unusual about Elijah, isn't there? He's one of those men who who didn't die, like Enoch. Um, He simply went with chariots of fire um, into the glory. Um, So presumably for him... Um, visiting our time and space is not so unusual. But he does visit, and Jesus and Moses and Elijah have something to talk about. Of course, they have lots to talk about, don't they? Um, Moses may well have been thinking, well, I wrote about you. Elijah may well have been thinking, well, 
many of my miracles um, are rather like your miracles. And Jesus says that in Nazareth when he preaches his first sermon. They had lots to talk about. They could compare notes, couldn't they? But they realized that special though they were, Elijah and Moses were in a different league to the one that they were talking to. They had derived their wisdom from another source. Jesus is wisdom itself. They had brought light and understanding to the people, but they are experiencing the light. They speak together. They're aware, aren't they, that they're seeing the unfolding and the fulfillment of God's plan before their very eyes. Remarkable. The three men speak together. What did Moses feel? Or rather, not Moses, what did Peter feel? I think there is a considerable wow factor about this particular occasion. Then if you imagine what it might be to be there. I mean, it would have been an extraordinary thing, wouldn't it, last week if, if Phil not only preached his last sermon, but suddenly there was a light show coming from his body. That, that would be something, wouldn't it? I think we all remember last week, but I think we'd never forget it if that happened. What did he feel? There was a, a definite sense of a wow factor. Someone has said that a hollow mortal in the searing light of the eternal. And when he writes... In his second letter in chapter 1, he writes about being eyewitnesses of this majesty. Simply never forgot it. It was etched on his memory. What do you do when you have special experiences? We often feel as though we want to stay there forever. If only we could capture this moment. I remember when I left Lowestoft, and because Phil and I served in Lowestoft as well as in Sussex together, and when I left Lowestoft and the pastorate there, there were some young people who said, we're going to stop at the, the roundabout just outside of Lowestoft um, when you are trying to move down to Lansing, and we're going to stop you. We're going to tell you the joke's over. <laughs> and we often want to do that, don't we? We often want to pause a moment. We don't want to necessarily allow it to, to pass. Uh, you know, our children, our grandchildren, we... We want them to kind of stay at that kind of nice age. We wish we could freeze dry particular moments. That's the nature of human experience. What did Peter say? Rabbi, it is good to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's capture the moment. That's what uh, Peter is saying, um, whipping out his smartphone and saying, you know, just huddle up as a group. Let's get a, let's get a group photograph. Hey, Jesus, have you, you've heard of TikTok, um, Instagram. Uh, maybe this is a moment to um, put it out, to, to get it out to the public. Um, let's capture this moment for all time. Three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know, sometimes it doesn't occur to us that it's valuable to say nothing. No, I'm a talker. Um, That may well be on my gravestone. He talked. Maybe you're a talker. You find it easier to talk than to be silent. I guess Peter was like that. 
he found it very easy to express himself. And sometimes, you know, we, we do that. We, we think and we speak, and there's no distance between the one and the other. Everything comes out. Of course, at least such people are honest. They're not hiding behind a veneer. They're not trying to impress. <laughs> Far from it. We might look askance at, at Peter and say, that was really silly to say something like that. And uncharacteristic, it doesn't happen very often in, in narratives. Mark says something about this. He says, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Of course you'd be frightened, wouldn't you? In this kind of circumstance. Suddenly your categories are busted. Everything you kind of expected about how life panned out was suddenly reshaped before your eyes. Of course you'd be frightened. But you know, maybe we ought to pause for a moment and say, perhaps there was something about Peter that's somewhat endearing and valuable in this moment. He was really excited about what happened. He was enthusiastic about being in the presence of the glory of Jesus. I sometimes think to myself, when did you stop being full of wonder that Jesus is so special? When did it become ordinary? When did it become simply something that had happened in the past? Peter was energized, excited. He felt the buzz. He felt the vibe. Maybe he did shoot off his mouth. But at least he was moved by this occasion. At least he felt something. What did, G what did Peter feel? He felt the wow of this particular moment. I guess all of us attempted to micromanage at certain times. You know, all of us are used to the idea that, you know, we want to have things just as they are. You know, we, we want to organize other people. Some of, it, some of us feel it's our mission. Whether you're a church leader, leading the services, a mother or a father, a boss, a community leader, micromanagement is always a, a real temptation. Hey, let's get this in order. Let's line up the ducks. Maybe Peter was on the spectrum. Maybe that's the, the way he was kind of thinking. He had to have things neat and well categorized. Do you? But of course, life isn't like that, is it? Sometimes life is very unpredictable. Sometimes life breaks out of all the boundaries and all the categories that we have for them. We want three boxes. Jesus breaks out of all of the boxes. Peter wants Three tents, tabernacles, tents of meeting. But Jesus is bigger than our categories. That's always important to remember, isn't it? That Jesus is bigger than we can imagine. Bigger than we can possibly think. What Jesus was trying to communicate to Peter and the disciples was that they were experiencing a new reality. This is who he is. This is who they're dealing with. They hadn't begun to imagine 
just how much there was in Jesus. Recently, I've been reading and praying through John's gospel. And one of the things that strikes me about John's gospel is how abundant the life of Jesus is. We never run out of Jesus. We never get to the end of Jesus. We never exhaust the possibilities of knowing him, trusting him, loving him, or being loved by him. Well, we've had a mountain, and we've had the appearance of historical figures, and now we get a cloud. And if you're a filmmaker, you know that the cloud or the steam of a, 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 a train or, or, or dry ice is something that you kind of introduce into the film in order to have a sense of mystery, to, to raise the tension. And here the, the dry ice is introduced. The cloud appears. And in biblical terms, clouds were special things too. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were guided by a cloud and a pillar of fire. It's um, bursting, bristling with significance that the leading, speaking, sovereign God is giving us one of his badges of presence and activity. A cloud appears. The dry ice rises from the stage. And words are spoken. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You know, Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18.15, a prophet like me will arise. Listen to him. Jesus is a prophet like Moses and greater than Moses. And God the Father speaks and says, listen, listen to him. Throughout Mark's gospel, the disciples struggle with listening, just as we sometimes struggle with listening. What did the Russian foreign secretary say about our foreign secretary this week? Our conversation was like a mute talking to a deaf person. We were listening, but there was no understanding. That can be like that, can't it? When we, we uh, are told to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, we kind of hear the words, we hear the sounds, we hear the person speaking from the front, we see their lips moving. But we're not moved by the words because we're not listening. We're not listening. To listen is an effort. To hear is not an effort. Another Russian composer, Stravinsky, said, even ducks hear, but it takes an effort to listen. Listen. Listen to him. This is the one that you are to hear. But of course, we live in an age of distraction. We live in an age where it's difficult to listen. Where when we're called to listen, a ping of a message comes in. The phone rings or someone knocks at the door. Or some new thought flashes across our mind. Jesus beckons us to listen. To listen and he speaks in his word. But often we ignore we're good at putting Jesus on hold. We're good at putting Jesus on hold. How easy it is to be distracted. 
But then suddenly, the cloud disperses and the spotlight is on Jesus. The cloud disperses and Moses and Elijah are gone, whisked away. The cloud disperses. And there in verse 8, suddenly, when they looked around, they saw, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, we need to be careful not to kind of super spiritualize this, but it is a message to us, isn't it? The spotlight is shining, and it's shining on Jesus only. Now, it was very moving to see Phil last week being escorted out of the building in tears. Very moving indeed. And and what a great guy Phil is. What a great job he's done here over these last 17 years. But Phil has gone. Tony has gone. Alex has gone. But what you know is that Jesus was at the heart of the ministry of all those three men. And Jesus will be at the heart of this church as you move forward. And we pray that Jesus will be the heart of the ministry of the person who will come to serve in this place in the future. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And that phrase, with us, suddenly they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Just imagine when you capture a site of home, how you want to go home. Perhaps you've had visitors from the place that you live, maybe another part of the country, maybe another part of the world. And maybe you've kind of had that kind of sense of temptation. Just put me in your suitcase and take me with you. But Jesus does not return home. He does not return to glory when his glory has been revealed. He stays with the disciples. He continues with them to Jerusalem. And he continues with them to the cross as he says to them towards the end of the reading. Um, the son must suffer as it's written and, and be rejected. Jesus stays with his disciples. Jesus only. Jesus only. And then Jesus says to the disciples, be silent um, about this. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept discussing the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. If you have a child and you're going to buy them an ice cream, but you need to walk five miles before you get to the ice cream, you don't keep talking about the ice cream because those five miles will feel a very, very long journey. Don't go out telling people about the mountain because there's a long journey as yet, a long journey to the cross. There's suffering. There's rejection. There's a lot of bad stuff before the ice cream comes. Shh. 
for now, until the resurrection comes, and there's another very public sign of my glory, of my victory, of my power. As I said, Peter wrote about this experience in his second letter, um, and he says this from verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. I can never get it out of my mind. I can never forget it. Just as you can't forget it. First moment that you came to know Jesus personally for yourself. You just can't forget it. It's etched on your memory when you step from darkness to light. From death to life. Always, only, Jesus. I think Phil said that last week, didn't he? So I'm saying... Amen to that this week. Always, only, Jesus. Amen.